0: Well, we're coming to the epic conclusion of a two-month-long sermon series in the book of Ephesians, and I got to be honest with you, I do feel like God has saved the best for last in this series, and I cannot wait to open the Word of God with you, but I also know of all the times in the life of our church where we have people in front of a band or in front of a speaker, the most captive audience I have is in the first five minutes of my sermon, and I found that to be true just over and over again. And so as a leadership, we were talking, we have these like really important things to update all of our members on. And it was like, well, the, the most anyone's paying attention is at the very beginning of the sermon. So I don't do what I'm about to do lightly, but we're about to have a mini family conversation together as a church. And if you're like a guest and just checking this place out, you can totally tune out, you can get on your phone. If you're watching on video or you're on a podcast, just fast forward and get to the part where I open the word of God, but you're in person. So you actually have to listen to this Whether you are a member here or not. And a lot of what I'm going to be saying has needed to be said for a while, but there's been so many details that we've been figuring out. And it's not something you need to be nervous about. You're like, oh no, I've been to churches where they have family conversations. Who's resigning and what happened? No, it's not anything like that. It's an update on Hamilton Road, to be honest with you, because we ended 2019 with some pretty clear direction about where God was leading us. And 2020 has thrown everything for a loop, including our plans to build a building off Hamilton Road. I feel so confident in what I'm about to share with you. Is anybody excited for this update at all? Are you all just like, okay, thank you for like doing that, even if it was fake, because it makes me engage in this moment a little bit better. Okay, to catch those of you up who are new, in 2019, God miraculously enabled us to purchase 17 acres of land off of Hamilton Road to build our future home. And at the exact same time, he miraculously gave us this space that we were able to renovate in a couple of months before that school year started. So we spent the majority of 2019 designing designing the building that we felt like God was calling us to build off Hamilton Road. It's a beautiful space if you've never driven by it. It's right next to a Publix. That's all you need to know. And so it's it's in a great spot. We got up here a year ago, it was like a year ago this weekend, and it was me and our elders, and we sort of unveiled, here's the building, here's what we're thinking about building, but here's what we said. We said, your generosity this month is going to determine a lot of the decisions that we are about to make. And in one month, last December, in one month, you guys gave $1.5 million, which is insane. And I know, oh, golf clap, that's cool, it's a lot of money. We started in a hardware store with 30 people. And like that wasn't a long time ago. So some of these things that we've just grown like, oh, that's mundane, that's normal. Not for us. Like we're not we're not a part of a denomination. No one planted this church like literally random group of people praying God's hand was involved and so amazing so we go into 2020 and we're like okay feel like we got the building drawn up ready to make a wise decision about financing we're making all these decisions about the building because things are are tight and when you start negotiating with banks it's like okay well could we leave that off the building and do we need this in the building and I remember one of the most stressful weeks of my life was the first week of March in 2020. Because we had to make some really important decisions, and our leadership things were kind of weighing heavy on us. And I was like, okay, God, are you telling us to move forward and trust you on some things, or are you telling us to hit pause on some things? And then COVID hit. And that was a clear, like that was God going, it's pause. If you were wondering what to do, it's pause because none of us have ever led through a global pandemic. I don't know if you have. And none of us have ever done church in a way that uh, you're like, okay, we can't gather. Wow. Is this, are we even going to have a church on the backside of this? And we definitely didn't know some of the financial ramifications that were going to come from that. So our team did what we like to call pivoting. And we went to online church and you you know the whole story. We spent seven months doing uh, everything we could. Now we're kind of in two multiple different places. We have watch parties that are going on. There are people in the Auburn area who are a part of our church who are not ready to come back into this building, and I totally respect that. So we're kind of doing this like hybrid church right now. But here's where we are at the end of 2020. In a year of financial uncertainty and difficulty, you guys have decided to be more generous than you've ever been before. And honestly, that has empowered our leadership to go, it is a wise decision for us to move forward building a building off Hamilton Road, not just because of the spiritual direction we've got from God, but because of the numerical facts that we know to be true. So here's the reality, and I'm just going to be as straight up with you as I possibly can. The only reason why we are able to do church in this building alone in Auburn, Alabama right now is because of coronavirus. When and if, and we're praying that it's soon, when and if that virus is gone and we're believing big things about this vaccine and hoping in 2021, like this is not going to be a thing. But if like COVID wasn't a thing tomorrow, we would be in trouble in January. Like we would not be able to do church the way we do it in this building. And obviously we could get creative. We've done that many times in the past as a church. We can make it through certain seasons, but the reality is we need more capacity to serve the people who call this church home. And so as we go into 2021, I feel like a broken record in saying it because it's a year later and I'm kind of saying the exact same thing. We've had to make some edits to what we had drawn up. Like we've had to do things like say, hey, our building needs to have the capacity for us to have live streaming to go out to the world, whatever's happening in that building. Uh, We've had to think through some add-ons and and a lot of different things because a lot of what happened to church in 2020 was you you got this totally different thing going on. But I I, I can't go into all that. All I want to tell you is we know we need to do something. Doing nothing is not an option. And so we are ready to step forward, and we are going to step based on your generosity during this holiday. Hollywood season, holiday season, sorry, sort of a Hollywood season. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Let's change the subject for a second. Go ahead and tell the person next to you your favorite Christmas movie, and we're going to just spice up the Hamilton Road announcement a little bit. Mine's the holiday, as I say every year, because I'm a hopeless romantic, but I'll tell you what's underrated. The first, Santa Claus, Tim Allen, phenomenal, so underrated. You want to know what's overrated? The Grinch. Okay, just honest opinion. All right, back to the subject. So we are marching forward toward building a building off Hamilton Road. And one of the first things that we want to do is we want to fully pay off the land out there without touching our cash reserves that we have set aside for the financing of Hamilton Road. So we are actually going to finish off paying off that land right here, right now. Uh, that land cost $2.2 million. We have put down almost $2 million. And we've put down that money while continuing to do ministry and set aside all of this funding for building the building. So right now, the outstanding balance on that loan is $228,325.71. And we're going <laughs> to, he's like, I got that $0.71. Cents. Okay, yeah, you take that. You be faithful with what God's entrusted to you. But, We're going to go ahead and pay that off, not this month, like right now. Like the people are giving online right now. People have given leading up to this weekend. We're going to pay that loan off tomorrow. And just go ahead and get the land under our belt. And so what that enables us to do is it enables us to continue to move forward, not sprinting, but marching forward toward building a building out there. And you might be like, that's a lot of money, $228,000. But here's the reality. I've seen you do it before. And I also know that in a season that has completely knocked out certain nonprofits and churches, you want to know what ACC has been able to do this year? ACC has been able to give away way more money than the number that's on the screen right now. Like this year, we've been able to stand in the gap for ministries that would not exist if we weren't there going, okay, you normally have that benefit dinner where people fund you for an entire year and you can't have that dinner this year. Can we just fund what you would be given during that dinner? We've been able to do ministry internationally in a way that we never have before. And I like, I say that to say, it is very hard for me as a leader to get up here at the end of 2020 and tell you it is a good idea for us to build a massive building off Hamilton Road. But the reality is we have to balance the needs of our church with how God has called us to continue to be the church in Auburn and around the world. And I think our leadership is open-handedly doing that as best we possibly can. So here's the good news. Every dollar that you give to ACC, we're a tithe-bringing church. What does that mean? We talk about bringing the tithe individually, but we do that as a church collectively. Every dollar that is given to our church, 10% of it goes right back out. So our budget for missions and benevolence the following years, so like 2021, will be 10% of everything that was given this year. So last year, you guys gave $4 million. Guess what our budget was to give away this year? $400,000. And so I just want you to see those two things paired together. But I also want you to hear me say, God's been faithful every step of the way. Who knew that we needed 17 acres of open land? God did. Like we had worship nights out there. We had baptisms out there. We have memories that we will never, ever, ever forget. But I'm tired of there being a field out there. I'm ready for there to be trucks and I am ready for us to break ground. And I believe the time is right in 2021 for God to bring a new beginning. If you have any more questions about like, well, how many does that building seat? And once we move into that building, will we still have this building and all of that is still in the works and things that we're praying toward. So you can contact our elders, you can contact our staff, and we will sit down with you if you have questions about that. But I just felt like we've gotten a lot of questions as this year has gone on. What are you guys doing on Hamilton Road? That's as clear and concise of an update as I can possibly give. And now I'm ready to preach about the Bible. Are you ready? If you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up. Come on. Turn with me. For the final time, to Ephesians chapter 6. Not the final time. We'll be back in Ephesians, one of the best books in the entire Bible. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We're going to close it out today. And if you've been tracking with us, you'll notice that we're skipping some pretty prominent verses in Ephesians. We're skipping the most clear and practical demonstration of marriage in the entire bible every single wedding that i officiate i preach from ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 33 it's a beautiful picture of marriage and so i don't skip that part lightly i skip it because we actually just did a sermon series called marriage that was based on those verses and you can find that along with every old acc sermon we get this question all the time like what happens to the old sermons because i need i'm a sheep today there are uh, they're on a website called Potomatic, and so you can go there, and if you look up marriage eye to eye, that's E-Y-E, eye to eye, there's a whole sermon on Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, and then you get into chapter 6, and honestly, the beginning of chapter 6 is pretty self-explanatory about fathers, about children, and there's a section about slaves. I do want to say this, because Paul gives directives towards slaves, a lot of people claim that the Bible endorses slavery. That is not true. The Bible does not endorse slavery. The Bible just empowers people in whatever situation they find themselves. So Paul is trying to be helpful to real people in a real church who are facing real situations. He's not saying slavery is okay. He's going, some of you are in that right now. And this is what it looks like for you to honor God and honor your master in the midst of a broken system. That's what it means. And then we get to verse 10. I I gave you plenty of time. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you're there, say, I'm there. Here we go, y'all. The armor of God. Come on, somebody. Finally! I love that. Paul's like, I'm almost done. We're almost done with Ephesians, y'all. Two months in. Christmas series next week. Gage Henry preaching. Don't miss it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So good. The title of this sermon on the armor of God is called Armor Before Battle. Armor Before Battle. Can you look at somebody next to you and say, you got your armor on? You got your armor on? We're going to learn how to put on the armor of God. And by the way, as I, as I look down on my notes, I realized that uh, we asked you to give $228,000 and I never gave you an opportunity to give it. So uh, if we, if we can put the ways to give on the screen, we're going to go into our bringing time. It's going to be a lot cleaner at the 11 and the 5. Those are the ways to give. We're on Venmo. We're online. We can pretty much uh, talk to you about any type of donation. If you have stock or IRA, we, you can talk to our staff about that. You can make that happen. Okay, let's go back to the sermon. Armor before battle. We'll, we're definitely using another one for the podcast. I want to talk about the very real spiritual battle that Paul takes us into in this passage of Scripture. Armor before the battle. You know, armor is only valuable if you realize you need it before you're in a battle. So too many of us, I think, don't realize we need armor spiritually until we're already wounded. And so if you're in a battle with arrows flying by you and you go, oh, we should have put our armor on, it's already too late. What Paul is prescribing in these verses is not necessarily a visualization or meditation technique. He's prescribing proactive faith. There's a huge difference between proactive faith and reactive faith. And a lot of your spiritual battles are actually won or lost by whether or not you live today proactively or reactively. Like I know for me, What I experience in a given day in my relationship with God has everything to do with what has happened to my heart going into that day. So if I just wake up in the morning and go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to react to how I feel today. I'm going to react to what happens in my marriage today. I'm going to react to what happens at work today. I'm going to react to what happens in the economy or in politics. I'm just going to live my life as a reaction to everything else that's happening around me. That's a good way to lose every spiritual battle that you're in. But if you go into your day with a heart that is on guard, and with a heart that's submitted to God, and you go, no, I'm not going to react to my life, I'm going to proactively make sure my life is in submission to the God of the universe, all of a sudden, the very battles that seem so hard and so difficult are actually easy and light, because Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and if he's fighting your battles for you, you got good armor. And so that's what's being prescribed here, and I just want to talk to so many of you about growing up and maturing spiritually spiritually. And humbly tell you that a lot of the battles that you keep losing spiritually are a result of your own laziness to put on the armor of God. It's because you just show up on a given day. No armor on, no preparation, no prayer, no anything other than let's just see how today goes. That's a good way to get run over by the evil one who is the enemy of your soul. And so when we go through these verses, I want to talk to you today about living a proactive life. And I want to talk to you about what has helped me so much because I know if my heart is already submitted to God as I enter into a day, everything changes for me. Let's go back to the beginning. Go back to verse 10. What did Paul say? He said, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Somebody say, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I love that. Paul's like, this is the last thing I'm going to tell you. You got to be strong. And by saying, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, Paul is openly acknowledging that you do not have the power. In the Lord and his mighty power, that means that God is not expecting you to conjure up the strength to fight for what you're called to fight for. God has openly acknowledged that you do not have what it takes. And too many of us live our lives with a picture of God where it's like he's in heaven watching us and testing us to see if we have what it takes to overcome temptation, to pray enough, to walk closely with him enough. And he's just watching and he's going to reward us and bless us as a result of our strength, or he's going to curse us and shun us as a reward for our own weakness. No, God has openly acknowledged that you are weak. God knows before you go into the battle that you do not have what it takes. This is a good thing. Because now my weakness is not the thing that keeps me from seeing victory spiritually. My weakness is the very thing that qualifies me for the power of God to cover me. Here's a better way of saying this, and this is good. This is good. If dependency is our goal, then weakness is our advantage. Paul's going. The, the goal of being strong spiritually is not that you mature into a strong enough Christian. The goal of being strong spiritually is that you learn the power of dependency and you learn to go to the source of what makes you strong, not try to be the source yourself. So now, if you're weak, guess what? You are in line with needing the power of God to cover your life. If in 2020, you have been run over spiritually again and again and again, I just want to tell you, you are directly in line with the power of God overcoming your weakness today. God is not intimidated by your weakness. He has acknowledged that you are weak. He knows, what does the Bible say? He knows that we are but dust. He made you that way. And so when Paul goes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, he's immediately going, please know this, you don't have the strength. For the battle that we're talking about fighting, when we start talking about who the enemy is, you'll see why you don't have the strength to win this battle. But the Lord has it. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That word scheme in Greek means method. So if you're new to your faith, this is a deep thing to talk about. But we believe we have a very real spiritual enemy. An enemy of our souls and ultimately an enemy to the glory of God. So no human being is neutral spiritually. There are no Switzerland's. I said that a couple of weeks last week. There's nobody who's like, I just want to stay out of the fight, okay? I don't want to like fall into the darkness, but I'm not like advancing the kingdom of light. No, you're one or the other. And you have a very real enemy who has very real schemes and methods that Paul talks about in the New Testament are predictable. And too many times when I hear other pastors or I hear other people in my life talk about spiritual battles, it becomes a little bit of white noise to me, especially if you've been in the church for a long time to go, you're in a battle and you have an enemy and we are at war and it just overwhelms your motivation when you've been in it for a while. I want to talk to somebody who's been a Christian longer than I've been alive today and tell you some of you are exhausted from the talk about spiritual battles because it's so long-suffering, and it just goes on and on and on, and you need fresh motivation. I believe the motivation that wakes you up to fight for the things that matter most is the devil's schemes in your life. His methods are all different, and he's been doing what he's doing longer than you've been alive. He knows where people are weak. He knows our vulnerabilities. He knows how to exploit them. But I want to tell you, on top of that, he has a motivation, and it's never to just destroy you. He's about destroying the image of God through family. And there's some of you who need to know today, the weight of your spiritual battle is never just about you. It's about your marriage. It's about your children. It's about your future children. It's about your siblings, because the devil does not fight fair, and he never fights for someone individually. Some of you who are the most trapped in depression today, that lie that creeps up into your head the most often is, if I was gone, everybody's life would be better for it. And you do not realize that this isn't just about your pain being managed. This is about the devil coming after your family. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to wake you up. Because for me, when you tell me, hey, you're in a spiritual battle, I'm like, no joke. I'm a preacher. Like, of course I am. I get tired of hearing about it. I get tired of thinking about it. But when I become aware of the fact that, hey, when you woke up this morning, you have a spiritual enemy who would love to see your marriage fall apart, who would love to see your kids resent you, who would love to see you leave a legacy of so many things and so many sins left behind in your family, not righteousness, not faithfulness, not the fullness of what it means to be a man of God. He hates your kids. He hates your marriage. He hates your relationship with your siblings, and he wants it all to fall apart. When I hear that, I go, all right, let's fight. And so I want to wake some of you up from apathy today and go, hey, even if you're not motivated about your own calling, this is bigger than you. And this is bigger than just your individual family. The enemy hates the church because the church is the family of God. And so he loves to destroy families from within based on bitterness, based on sin, based on unforgiveness. I love that Matt Cole talked about that a couple weeks ago. When Matt talked about unforgiveness, we went back and forth about this so many times leading up to that. I feel strong in saying that I believe unforgiveness and bitterness is the doorway to the demonic. And when some of you went home for Thanksgiving and you tried to have restorative conversations with your parents or with your family members, and maybe it didn't go as well as you wanted it to go. I just want you to know, be encouraged today because the enemy hates that stuff, and you are fighting the battles that matter most. He hates family, but he also hates the church. And that's why you see so many churches destroyed from the inside out, so many denominations destroyed from the inside out by divisiveness, and most of the time arguments about things that don't really matter. I I believe the devil loves, loves church splits. Loves it when a church decides, go this way, go this way, we'll just split up and move on. That's why Paul wrote Ephesians to unify a church that was about to split because the Jews are over here and the Gentiles are over here and Paul's going, no, God wants this thing to be won. And so when we're fighting this spiritual battle, I want to motivate you in saying we are fighting a battle for family. Go to the next verse. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Nothing unifies a group of people faster than a common enemy. You can write that down. Nothing unifies a group of people faster than a common enemy. And Paul's using a unification technique that goes hey, remember, your enemy, not each other. Your enemy, not the political party you disagree with. Your enemy, not the person who hurt you. Your enemy is a spiritual power, a group of spiritual powers that I don't have time to go into. And, and I don't want to go all screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, which is a great book that you can check out and figure things out about the spiritual powers of darkness. And some of you, it'll keep you up at night. But, but, but I want to point to you at who the real enemy is. Two of our, I would say one of our elders and his wife, when they get into a courageous conversation, that's ACC code for uh, intense Disagreement. Um, when they get into a disagreement in their marriage, they always say back and forth to each other. Or at least they try to. They say, "I'm not the enemy, and you're not the enemy," and they force themselves to say that. And Courtney and I tried. We were still not there, um, but we tried it one time, and it was like <laughs> feels like you're the enemy. <laughs> it definitely feels that way today. But I love that. I love that when you clarify, hey. My enemy is not the person who I think it is. It is something so much bigger than me. I'll tell you this, the last two months of doing church in person in this room, there has been a cloud of difficulty over us doing this every single Sunday that was not here before COVID. And I told our team this morning, I'm like, we don't show up here on Sunday and kind of get irritable with each other and a lot of things go wrong and a lot of things need to get figured out and we get to the point to where a lot of us are just resenting the fact that we even have to do what we get to do. I was like, guys, that is a spiritual battle. Our enemy is not these tasks that we need to get done or each other. Our enemy is someone who wants to destroy our families and destroy our church. And you get unified around that idea. I'm not the enemy. Therefore, here it is. Put on the full armor of God. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, I love that. Before Paul mentions one item in the armor, he says, I want you to put this on for something that's coming. He's not saying, put it on now because the battle is waging now. No, this is is actually a preemptive act. This is a proactive act. He says, so that when that attack comes, and the reality is you do not know at which point the attack's going to come on you. So I know a lot of us are in battles right now, and they all look different. Some of them are related to personal habits with sin. Some of them are related to relational reconciliation in our families. Some of them, it's our own anxiety and difficulties that we don't even feel like we have permission to say out loud because it's gotten so difficult and so impossible in your own mind. I don't know what your battle is, but I do know this. There is a way of fighting your battle that leads to victory, and it's called winning the battle before the battle starts. Because, I believe this wholeheartedly, if you wait to react to a battle in the spiritual realm, you have already lost. If you wait to react, you lost. And that doesn't need to make you nervous today. That doesn't need to make you go, great, I'm just bound to lose. because I'm never going to figure out how to get ahead of everything that's coming against me spiritually. No, it's actually freeing. This isn't supposed to scare you about the future. It's supposed to free you to go ahead and win the battle now. Do you know the battles that are coming for you spiritually that you cannot see can be won by whether or not you are submitted to God today? They can be won right here and right now. And I got so encouraged by that just in my life personally because I was going to tell you, I want you to think about what keeps you up at night. I want you to think about what scares you the most. If anything that could happen to you, if anything that could happen to your family, I want want you to think about the battle that's on your mind the most. And then I want you to know this. God wants to get ahead of that battle with armor to protect you now for then, and I'm hesitating because I'm like, okay, I'm about to get really honest. And this is always a great stage to be vulnerable. I've told y'all many times, I never want our uh, pulpit to be my therapy session where I share things with you. They're like, I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with this, but I want to be as vulnerable with you on stage as I call you to be in your small groups. And so um, for me, 2020 has shook me up on a lot of things this year. Leadership wise, it's been very difficult. And a lot of you have reached out and sent letters and said, hey, we know this has been a tough year to lead. Honestly, it's been a lot tougher for other pastors that I'm aware of. And I, I don't say that to just brag about you. I say that to say you guys are the greatest church in the entire world. And for the most part, there are some people who have left. There are some people who have gotten upset. But the vast majority of you have done nothing but encourage and stay consistent and give faithfully and participate. And I love you for it. It's awesome. But watching what's happening in, in like the greater church, a lot of pastors have gone down this year for different reasons. And every time that happens, you can ask people close to me, I, I get real nervous and I look into, okay, how did that happen? What was going on? And there was one that happened a month ago. I don't want you to Google it or look it up or try to figure out who I'm talking about. I just tell this story to say, there was a man who went down and lost his position in his church who impacted me heavily. His, I would... I would say his voice was the voice that gave me confidence to be myself when I get on stage. And I watched him go down, and um, when I got the text, Courtney, she thought something happened to somebody in our family because of the way I reacted when I got the text, because I just slammed the phone and had to go to the other room so that the girls didn't see me bawling my eyes out. And I texted our elders, and I said, hey, I'm really struggling with this one. Can you pray for me? And not just pray for me. Can you guys just make sure this doesn't happen to me? And uh, one of our elders, who's in this room right now, sent a text back that I'll never forget. He said, "Miles, the great thing about what you're afraid of is that you can actually decide to win that battle right now." He so said, "You're not going to decide a couple years from now if you want to blow up your ministry and blow up your marriage." You're not going to decide in the future whether or not you're going to walk away from God. He said, you're going to decide right here and right now whether or not you're submitted to God. And so you can let go of worrying about what's going to happen down there if you stay surrendered and submitted to God today. you got your armor on, you're ready to fight. And I want to tell some of you, the battles that you're most fearful of that you can't see yet, God doesn't want you to spend the rest of your life tiptoeing around going, I hope I don't get hit too hard, and I hope it doesn't come out of nowhere, and I hope no, you can always win those battles preemptively by deciding today, am I surrendered to God? Do I have my armor on? Am I walking in closeness with Jesus? Is my prayer life fulfilling? Is my worship life overflowing? Am I full of the Holy Spirit today? And some of you don't realize this, but the enemy of your soul is your own complacency and willingness to stay apathetic toward the battle that you're in. And so you got to motivate yourself again. you got to get back to that place where you're on fire with the joy of your salvation. And if you're not feeling it today, you need to feel the weight of what could be coming tomorrow. And it's freeing. It's a beautiful thing. And it's called the armor of God. You know, every time I look in the Bible and I watch somebody win a battle spiritually, I'm really surprised. Because if you read cover to cover in the Bible, you'll be pretty encouraged. It's just failure after failure after failure of people who need a Savior. It's like, oh gosh, I belong in here. This is great. But there's few moments of victory. And almost all of those moments are preemptive victories. Like Joseph against Potiphar's wife. You ever read that story? How Joseph decided that he wouldn't even talk to her. He didn't even go near her. And then creepy woman that she is, she like corners him in her room and, make, and then he runs out and she grabs his tunic on the way. He's like, you can have that. I'm just getting away from you as fast as I can. I believe Joseph was aware of the fact that he would fall if he waited until the moment of temptation. Joseph was aware of his own weakness. And so he went ahead and did something called resolving beforehand going, okay, I've already decided who I'm submitted to. And so my life is a reflection of the decisions I've already made. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did the same thing. When they got taken to Babylon, it says Daniel resolved not to eat the king's food. That word resolve means to set in stone beforehand. It's what we try to do with New Year's resolutions and usually fail. But the idea is that you decide something so that when you get to the point where you don't want to do what you already decided to do, the decision was already made so you don't have to think about it. It's the only way true discipline works. And it says they didn't wait till they got to Babylon to look at the food and go, okay, what are we going to do? Do we want our veggie diet or do we want that stuff? They said, no, we're going to honor God. And I believe the key to spiritual victory is a level of resolve today. And the resolve is have you dropped everything to follow Jesus? The call of Jesus is inclusive in that anyone's invited, but it's also exclusive, only those who are fully surrendered. So when Jesus goes, anybody and everybody can have salvation. I've come to die on behalf of sinful humanity. That's awesome. That's all welcoming, anybody and everybody. But those who that actually has an effect on and those who actually get saved are people who go, okay, Jesus, you can have it all. When Jesus said, come follow me, that wasn't like a, hey, if, you, if we run into each other in six months, then and we can do ministry together. It was a total and complete dropping of your former life and moving on in full submission to him. And I think too many of us, when we read about the armor of God, we get too lost in all the items and we don't realize that the power is not in a metaphor 2,000 years ago. The power is in what the items represent. And so I'm going to preach through each one of these things, but the idea isn't that you would think about a soldier and weapons for battle. The idea is that you would decide today whether or not you're fully surrendered and you have decided to follow Jesus. I love the items in the armor of God. VBS, ACC Kids, last year, that was the theme. And so Courtney and I asked Aniston this week. We're like, "Do you still have your armor from VBS last year?" And she did. And I brought a picture just so we can honor our ACC Kids team. There she is. That, do not mess with that warrior. As that a woman of God. So that's the <laughs> so funny. That is uh, that is the armor of God on Aniston. And I love the items. Like I said, I love talking about the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth. We're going to talk about all of that. But I don't want you today to think about waking up every morning and spiritually putting on each one of these items. I want you to look in the meaning behind what Paul is saying and ask yourself whether or not you do what he's calling you to do. Somebody say armor before battle. Come on, say it loud. That was good. That was good. That was way better than the online gathering that we did before this. I love having people in the room. It's awesome. All right, let's walk through these things. Number one, the belt of truth, the belt of truth. So this is one that I never knew what it meant until I researched it this week, because when you hear the word truth, you usually think about the word of God. And so when I grew up, I was like, put on the belt of truth. This is the Bible. Well, the Bible is actually one of the elements in the armor that we'll get to on number six, the sword of the spirit. Paul's really particular with his metaphors, and he would not put the same thing in there twice. The belt of truth is not the Bible. When he talks about the belt, he's talking about the core of who you are, by the way. 2,000 years ago, a belt wasn't just there to hold up your jeans. The belt was there to protect a soldier's extremities, okay? So this is like—it is really important that you got this one in place. You want to know what it means to have the belt of truth on? It means when you open your mouth is what you say true. That's what it means to have the belt of truth on. And the reason why Paul starts there is because one of the best ways to counteract the attacks of the enemy on your life is to speak a language that he does not speak. The enemy is the father of lies. And so if what you say or what you text or what you send out is always truth, you have positioned your life to speak a language that the enemy does not speak. And you've also positioned your ears to be able to notice the difference. So when you get a lie, you always speak truth, you live in truth, you live in the reality of what's actually there, then you'll recognize lies when they come against you. So one of the best ways to guard yourself against the attacks of the enemy is that when you talk, make sure what's coming out of your mouth is actually true. And by the way, things can be true and still hurtful. That's called slander. The belt of truth is being protective of the language of, that you speak so that the language that comes against you is recognizable as a lie. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. I'm telling you, we're sprinting through these things. The breastplate of righteousness. Second Corinthians says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Righteousness is a really churchy spiritual word that just means to be made right with God. And Paul says, what you need to have over your chest is the banner that says, I've been made right with God. But you don't need to allow being made into the righteousness of God to give you permission to live an unrighteous life. So we don't obey God to get his approval. We have his approval, and now the Bible says, live as one approved. So if people have been made into the righteousness of God and left behind the realm of sin and death, what does it look like to live on guard? It means to do the right thing. I'm thinking frozen. Do the next right thing. Okay. And there's parents in the room who 2020 are like, stop. I can't get it out of my head. And now it's back. It's my whole life. And we're going to Disney this week. And where are we spending most of our time? With Elsa and Anna. And it's going to be awesome. But do the next right thing. And so you look at uh, you look at the armor of God, and I think so many of us think okay, I, got the, I got the belt of truth on, I got the breastplate of righteousness on, and Paul's like, say things that are true, do things that are right, and you start actually actively living a life like this. You have positioned yourself not just as a, a, someone who's defensive against the enemy, but somebody who's playing offense against him. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Is this helping anybody? Okay, because I was talking to a friend this week, and I was like, I'm preaching on the armor of God. And he was like, oh, don't do that. They're going to be so bored. And he's like, the armor of God's one of those things that you think people enjoy, they're excited about. But it's really actually just boring and confusing because it's a metaphor from 2,000 years ago. And I was like, challenge on. I think it's good. All right, number three. I won't tell you who it was. Feet fitted with readiness from the gospel of peace. This is a long one. Feet fitted with readiness from the gospel of peace. I was talking about shoes, he's talking about sandals, but more than he's talking about what's on your feet, he's talking about the position of your feet. And he's saying, you need to have an offensive position against the enemy to share the gospel. Why? Because sometimes the best defense is a good offense. Right. I know this to be, yeah, that's right. There's an athlete over there. I know this to be true in basketball. Like it's easiest to play defense when you just scored. It's easiest to play defense in football when the offense has the ball most of the game because your defense just gets to rest. Like a great defense is actually the result of a good offense. You want to know your feet will not have time to think about what wrong paths they want to go on if they're always on the path that's urgent to share the gospel. Yeah. Feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel piece. It means when you wake up in the morning, your feet are urgent about the message and the mission that you've been given on planet earth. Most of our sin struggles are not the result of temptation. They're the result of idle time. And we go, where where are my feet going to go today? I'll just wander around. Well, when you wander around through life, it leads to wandering away from God and the things that matter the most. But when your feet are aimed going, I exist for a reason. My life has a purpose, and I'm going to share this message. What message? The gospel of peace. That God has made peace with humanity, and now his representatives make peace with each other. A weapon against the devil is to be a peacemaker. We rush into situations where there are not peace and we bring reconciliation. We don't sit back and hit share on articles. We we are peacemakers. I wanted that to hurt. We rush into moments where you go, I came to preach a gospel of peace because God has made peace with me. Number four, the shield of faith. The shield of faith to do what? Extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. The devil's got two arrows. Two arrows temptation and accusation he's so crafty and he's so annoying because what he'll do is he'll tempt you and then accuse you based on your action that went in accordance with his temptation So he'll be the voice in your head that's going, this is a good idea. You want this. Think Garden of Eden. You want this. Like, this desirable. This is going to fulfill your desires. Don't listen to God's limitations. God's only trying to limit you, when in reality, God's actually trying to liberate you. But he'll lie to you and go, God's got limits on you. You need to just, you need to just, and you know what he'll do? He'll go from temptation to accusation. And then once you step over the line and do the very thing you were tempted to do, he'll become a voice of shame and go, why'd you do that? What is wrong with you? Why, why did you go down? You did, and, and again, it's not like this is your first time being here. This is your thousandth time being here. Let me tell you this, that is never the Holy Spirit. Right. That is always the evil one. And so what's the shield of faith? The shield of faith is what blocks temptation and blocks accusation. In what way? Faith is the trust and belief that Jesus did in our place what we couldn't do on our own. And Jesus is saying, I'm the shield that you need to hide behind when the attack comes against you. So when you are tempted, it is Jesus who overcame temptation on our behalf and Jesus who fills us with the Holy Spirit from within to live an obedient life. And when you fall into temptation and accusation comes, it is Jesus who becomes your shield to block the enemy from saying that you have been condemned in the sight of God. What what does the shield of faith mean? It means hide behind Jesus. Make it a habit of when you're wanting to hide from God to use that shield called Jesus and go... No, that's not God. God is the shield that keeps these accusations away from me. So yes, devil, I did do the wrong thing for the 1,000th time. I did. Isn't it great that my righteousness was never a reflection of my behavior, but Jesus' perfection? And so now I can live a righteous life, but even if I did choose unrighteousness, I have a shield to keep me from every attack that's coming against me, and his name is Jesus, and boom, the accusation's blocked. And this is how you live your life on guard because now it's not you winning the battle. It's you hiding going, thank God I got that shield because nothing can touch me when Jesus is my shield. That's the shield of faith. But it happens when you stop trying to get out from behind the shield and fight the battle yourself. Keep that shield in place. Every temptation, every accusation, it is Jesus who guards us. Number five, the helmet of salvation. Helmet protects your mind. What will protect your mind is to stay stayed on what it means to be saved by God. I think too many of us graduate from the joy of salvation too quickly. And God wants our minds stayed on the fact that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And we need to think about it. We need to sing about it. We need to pray about it. We need to talk about it. We don't need to graduate from, wow, I was born into sin, headed for an eternity, separated from God in hell. And Jesus did for me what I couldn't do for myself, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, raised from the dead. And I'm just going to keep thinking about it. I'm going to keep talking about it. When I get tired of talking about it, I'm going to talk about it some more. I'm going to read about it. I'm going to meditate on it. And all of a sudden, your mind is protected by these timeless realities that are what it means to be made right with God. We'll say them all together. No, we're not going to say them all because the third one's so long. Let's review. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and then lastly, it's always the best one at the end, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The Bible is your offensive weapon against the devil and against the darkness. And Jesus modeled this better than anybody when he got tempted by the devil. All three times his response was a Bible verse. And I know you've heard that before, and if you haven't heard that before, you should read it in Matthew chapter 4. But come on, we're talking about how the Son of God fights his battles. Don't you know that he's pretty strategic? He's aware of how to beat the enemy. He can literally do anything he wants to win that battle, but because of his submission to being fully God and fully man and his submission to the mission of God, which was to provide obedience for us, he not only overcomes temptation on our behalf, but he also shows us the roadmap for how we are to overcome. So when you get tempted, what is your weapon? How does a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. It's the word of God. You need to have an arsenal of Bible verses that come against every single one of the schemes and methods that the devil is used to using against you. And your arsenal is going to look different than my arsenal. But when you got people who are walking around with weapons in their pockets... I'm talking about Bible verses to be able to go, oh, that's a lie, and I recognize it's a lie because all I do is speak truth all the time, but now I'm gonna grab the truth from the word of God and use it as a what? As a sword. What does a sword do? Cuts. And you cut away the lies of the enemy the moment you become obsessed with the word of God. And this is where like every week we're like, you gotta get in the word, you gotta get in the word, you gotta get in the word, y'all. We're not just talking about being trendy and sitting at coffee houses highlighting our Bibles. We're talking about winning spiritual battles. This is how we fight. Armor before the battle. I love that Paul could be done there, but he decides to finish with a call for the ultimate finisher in every spiritual battle. It's not just the word of God. It's when the word of God combines with prayer. And pray in the spirit. Let's finish it, y'all. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Why does he finish with prayer? Because he's finished giving all the weapons and now he wants to give us the battle. Prayer is not just a weapon. It's the very battle. And the moment you open your mouth in the name of Jesus and call on God to meet you right where you are, the battle has been won beforehand. You are armored up and ready to go. And honestly, when we talk about the future of our church, you need to look up here and do not miss this unless you're writing something down that you know you don't need to forget. You don't need to miss this part. I'm so tired of people asking me questions about the future of Auburn Community Church and what they mean is what buildings are we going to build and how many cities are we going to have locations in. All that stuff's great. But that's side stuff. The future of the vision of Auburn Community Church is people who are deeply committed to reading their Bibles and people who are 100% committed to prayer.